0: idea. <laughs> so we oh, one. yeah, look at that.
1: We got three. Oh, the wow. Steel so I think the steel beam could look cool. Yeah, yeah we could cool? highlight the steel beam. Yeah, if you and that brick so above the steel beam could be interesting. That's me and my lovely husband, Nick. The two of us recently started gutting and renovating the entire first floor of our house. And honestly, it's going okay. i so impressed by how much more open this can
2: get. I know. Right? Like, you can get another 18 inches out
1: of it. Yeah. And and I'm not here to complain. I truly have a pet peeve about people who complain about their house renovations. I feel like it's almost the equivalent of yelling at a waiter because he brought you cava instead of prosecco. Just be grateful and drink the fucking cava. Yeah. Paint the whole thing white over it and look interesting. All of this is a problem of privilege. The noise and the chaos has disrupted where my family sleeps, and frankly, my producer is mostly annoyed because it's been disrupting me recording this podcast. But it's fine. We figured it out. And aside from the fact that my kids are so covered in dust that I send them to school every day looking like Pigpen from Charlie Brown, I'm feeling really good about the whole process. And here's the thing. I don't think I could have done this renovation without design Instagram. I truly believe that design and renovation Instagram is one of the most useful things about social media, and I fucking love it. I want a
0: house! I want a house, a house! I'm gonna do all the finishing stuff and make it actually feel homey in here i think
2: okay, this is honestly a personal dream come true for me to have a paint kitchen We're and i learned how to expose a brick wall
1: we uh, built this closet from ikea pax wardrobes and i wanted to kind of
2: show doors right here
1: honestly you can learn how to renovate and decorate anything on the instagram i found nearly all of my fixtures my cabinet colors I found all of that on Instagram. It was the equivalent of having every good design magazine for the past 10 years, all in one place. Some of the accounts that I followed were huge design and remodeling influencers, but also a lot of them were really small. And a big chunk of them were actually women contractors, carpenters, and woodworkers. And I just love that those ladies are flipping the script on who builds and makes houses. So for me, design Instagram is one little corner of this often dark, dark place that is completely wonderful. But nothing's perfect. Earlier this year, the design influencer world was rocked by scandal. A scandal that reverberated all the way to the top and involved shady contractors, beloved figures, television deals, and people gaining thousands of followers while losing thousands of dollars. But as I dug into this story, I couldn't help but wonder, was it actually a scam? Or was this whole thing just a symptom of a larger issue in influencer and internet culture? The fact that everyone is hustling so hard and so fast that things fall through the cracks and nothing feels sustainable. I'm Joe Piazza. And you're under the influence. Episode eight, do the hustle. All right, so for those of you who are not addicted to HGTV and the Magnolia Network like I am, what we're about to talk about next might get a little bit confusing. So in the vein of a great Russian novel, I'm going to lay out this cast of characters for you at the very start of the episode. Yeah, I'm essentially Tolstoy, motherfucker. Now, back on January 8th, Chip and Joanna Gaines launched their much-anticipated Magnolia streaming TV network.
0: DIY Network is now Magnolia Network.
1: If you're not familiar, Chip and Joanna the Gaineses, are pretty much the biggest home renovation stars in the world. They're huge, massive influencers on social media, television, through their books, and they have multiple lines in Target. They started out on HGTV, and, you know, as everyone is getting into streaming, they decided to launch their own television network. When they did that, they needed new talent for their shows. They tapped this couple named Andy and Candace Meredith.
3: Andy and Candace Meredith.
2: We've been married for a little over 3 years. The two of them we had briefly had their
1: own had HGTV three, show, but they mostly built girl. their big following on social media while they were renovating a 20,000 square foot house in Utah. We want
2: to take you on this whole journey start to finish. We're going to be remodeling a 1907 schoolhouse. Most people think we're crazy. We have 2 acres that we've purchased They're
1: full-on school. old house renovation influencers. Which is a thing. Now, I might not be doing a good enough job explaining this, so I decided to bring on someone who could. I called the reporter Michelle Konstantinovsky, who wrote about this for Glamour Magazine. The headline was For Andy and Candace Meredith, a show on the Magnolia Network was a dream come true. Until it wasn't. I wanted to have you on to just give us a quick rundown. What happened for people that that don't know who Andy and Candace Meredith are?
0: They had um, a show on HGTV, which is kind of like the pinnacle of home renovation, you know, outlets um, called Old Home Love. And then they had a Facebook show. And then they partnered with the Bucket List Family, which I also had no idea about. Which is a very oh, uh, influential God. Instagram yes. family, and. Um, you know, they had, I think, what was a casual relationship with Chip and Joanna Gaines. So Joanna slid into Candace's DMs. And I think they had kind of a casual relationship up until that point. But Joanna really approached her through a DM and was like, we are creating a spinoff network called Magnolia. And we think, you know, you and your husband would be perfect um, for our network. The show was called Homework. And so um, Candace and Andy's whole shtick was that they renovated like very old historic homes. And in addition to, you know, the vignettes of them renovating their own home, they would help homeowners uh, on their own budgets um, renovate their homes. And that was kind of the whole premise for the show. And they had amassed a following before the Chip and Joanna, you know, relationship. So it's not to say that they connected with this power couple and all of a sudden they were thrust into this. They definitely earned the cred, but this was next level. Then the issues started.
1: The show was not going according to plan. And the homeowners who trusted Andy and Candace Meredith to renovate their homes felt like they'd been taken advantage of, even scammed. And they started talking about it publicly on Instagram.
0: Candace said she didn't feel she had the staff she needed and that contractors and clients were being
3: difficult to work with. She also told us we would almost certainly have to raise our budget to $100,000.
1: It's hard to articulate how vulnerable that place was To feel like I was being held captive in my own unearthed home while screaming and shouting for anyone to hear me, but being ignored. We
2: really, really wanted to just resolve it peacefully, but we tried so hard to do that and feel at this point, we've exhausted all options.
1: The first of these complaints came from a woman named Aubrey Benyon. She's a Utah-based project manager and entrepreneur.
0: What she's alleging is like pretty significant. It was just a kitchen remodel. It should have cost $20,000 of her own money. Again, this was not like Magnolia footing the bill. This was, you know, they were paying for it. And she says it wound up taking five months at almost double the cost. Aubrey kind of led the pack. But at the same time, she had found uh, through her own investigating and other people who were, I think they were... I want to say there were nine families or nine groups who were involved in the making of this show. They kind of somehow found each other um, and were like, hey, I'm going through this thing. I heard you might be too. Kind of joined forces. And so other people took to Instagram and did the same thing, um, did these Instagram threads detailing the horror show that was taking place, or as they alleged
1: one of the families claimed that the couple asked them for $85,000 for their renovation project, which was $40,000 over their original budget, and then after getting them to up their budget, they never finished the work. Another woman claimed that the Merediths had charged her $40,000, also over her budget by about 15 grand, and then said that they left her with way more problems in her house than she'd started with in the first place. And again, all of this was being aired On the Instagram. That same platform that had turned Andy and Candice Meredith into a brand in the first place. The same platform where Joanna Gaines, queen of home renovation, slid into Candice's DMs and first talked to her about having a TV show. Yes, that thing, that place, was where they were being torn down. Live by the sword, die by the sword. Live by the followers die by the followers.
0: The story was about that these feuding parties took to the same platform to try to, like, lay out the facts, and the facts were pretty much up for debate depending on who you were talking to.
1: This story was forwarded to me so many times with glee. Yeah, With glee by people, I think, that didn't even know who the Merediths were, but who were just kind of delighted... To see someone that had been Instagram famous taken down. Totally. We wield very little power as
0: like everyday people. But now that influence or power, or celebrity is kind of democratized in this way where it's like almost anyone can be an influencer, there's like a, a joyfulness that comes from like, oh, now we can take that person down using the same means that they use to elevate themselves above us little people, you know? Mm-hmm. But. Candace didn't deny any of this happened.
1: Candace does obviously feel remorse. She posted a 15-minute apology video to Instagram. She tried to explain everything and defend herself. On,
2: You know, basically nine client projects in the span of like, you know, three months. It was supposed to all be three. Like, it was just, it was, it was too much. And I can say that even though the communication each homeowner felt for themselves felt like it wasn't enough, we never slept. We, you know, we were constantly trying to communicate.
0: What she was really taking issue with was, like, the the venom that was being brought, like, in their direction. She said when I spoke with her that, you know, her, her child was saying that he was having suicidal thoughts and tendencies and they were being bullied. And um, it was intense. And... It was hard to hear that.
2: We have been scared to share our side because we, one, we're not trying to take away from their experience, and two, the threats that we're receiving and the comments of people accusing us of being frauds or theft, thieves, it's just been uh, a little bit over, not a little bit, a lot overwhelming,
0: and it has taken us a little bit of time to share, so. And on the other side, I'm hearing that these people need to take, like, the word of the day with this was accountability, that these people took on a project and just because they couldn't deliver, we're supposed to feel sorry for them. It's like, no, they have to take accountability. And I think that word gets used a lot in these kinds of public feuds.
1: Always. Almost always. Yeah. And I think that there's so much to say here about hustle culture, too, and how Yeah, like if you get this break and you want to grow your brand, you are going to have to do some things that are pretty shady. Let's talk about Elizabeth Holmes, right? I mean, mean, come on. (laughs) So I I just don't think this is anything new. And I think that Instagram culture and the drive for people to be a brand these days on social media platforms and TV and just more even than being a business, you have to be a brand. I think it's exhausting and people cut corners. hundred percent. I
0: think that's true of home renovation too. It's like, there's a promise that this could change your life. This could be the thing. And then the person who's delivering that has the pressure to do it fast and do it well and do it perfect because everything is documented. I think we're all so hardwired to be like, this person's a winner. This person's a loser. This is the villain. This is the good guy. And it's like, that's just not how any of this played out. And it's not realistic. Like there are people are hurt on all sides of this, but there is a power dynamic. And I think that's where people like to see the more powerful person get taken down. And that was Andy and Candace. They had more followers. They were more powerful. I don't know how this is going to escalate as the thing is like, you know, how long has social media been around now? And we're at this point now, what is it going to be in 10 years or 20 years? Like this would have been a disgruntled comment on Yelp. Like that's what this would have been. Or this would have been like a niche message board that like five people would have read. That's what this would have been. But instead it became headline news because that's the world we live in now is that it just snowballed and it picked up so much attention but even 10 years ago this wouldn't have been possible
1: there is a definite kind of schadenfreude when someone in the public eye who seems like they have all of their shit together is taken down a notch but were the merediths really scammers really or were they victims of something that a lot of us especially a lot of people in the creative industry have fallen prey to hustle culture the modern hustle something that is largely born out of growing your brand and burnishing your brand on social media. And this big idea right here is kind of the Trojan horse in this design influencer episode, because it's such a classic form of influencer content that it is the perfect example of how things can get out of hand. You can trace it all the way back to the beginning of design influencing, and see how the world has blown up and mutated and transformed and become something that the early design bloggers hardly even recognize. After the break, we're gonna talk to someone who went through this entire mind boggling journey. And now she just wants to find a way to put good shit into the world without driving herself crazy. Scandal or no scandal, People whose jobs are tied to social media, who feel the pressure to keep up with this crazy hamster wheel, they feel like they're under a lot of pressure. Pressure to stay savvy, to look perfect, to be relevant, to grow and grow and grow. For some people, it's starting to seem like it's not so worth it.
3: It's really just become this uh this, just the survival in a lot of ways, just this war of attrition to see who can, who can keep getting the eyeballs and, and you know, with influencing, or I should say with content creation, it's traffic and engagement. Those are the two things you're constantly going after. Um, And different posts garner different traffic or engagement, and they're not always the same thing. And so it's just every day, it's been just this wild, wild west
1: that is the voice of someone that I have admired for a very, very long time. She goes by a lot of titles. Interior designer, design guru, design blogger, design influencer, and also the leader of a multimedia company. She's also a New York Times bestselling author, and her new book, The New Design Rules, comes out next month. This is the one and the only Emily Henderson. Emily's design content has been my go-to for years, and she's found a way to make her job and what she does sustainable and bring real value into the world. So when I wanted to talk about what it takes for a brand in the modern digital age to keep on keeping on, Emily was one of the people that I really wanted to chat with. She's been in the space for so long, which means she's innovated about a hundred times, and she has hustled her ass off over the years. You can almost sense a restlessness while we're talking to her. Even during our conversation, she couldn't sit still, was always moving around like she was going to launch a new project right then and there. You might even hear that rustling a little bit while she talks. But let's back up. I want to take you to the beginning of my conversation with her, where I fangirl out just a little. Emily Henderson, I could not have renovated my house if it weren't for you. All I want to hear in the
3: world. That makes me feel very good. Thank you.
1: Your account just made me feel like I wasn't alone. And and it's also just from a design standpoint, beautiful and makes me so happy. So I wanted to get on and just say thank you for creating it and for being you.
3: Thank you. It's been, you know, it's been a long time, Joe. It's been 12 <laughs> years of, of doing this. So it's, it's truly what drives it all still is like, is just hoping to inform, inspire, educate, and like empower people to to love their home and, and not feel like idiots when they're decorating it and then be proud of it. And anyway, so that makes me feel very good.
1: I do want to back up because 12 years is a long time on the internet. It's a, it's a really, it's like, it's essentially a lifetime really. You
3: know, I don't want to say grandma, but I sometimes I feel like that. Maybe, yeah, like, I get it. I sure. get it.
1: Yeah. Emily started her career as a prop stylist in New York for magazines. Then she moved to L.A. with her husband, Brian, who was an actor. Right after they moved, the writer's strike happened and no one was working. And that was kind of miserable.
3: You know, it was drinking too much wine, was pretty depressed. Brian, my husband, was an actor. The industry shut down. And so I was just watching a lot of HGTV. I... I was was bored, you know, so I started this blog and at the same time I auditioned
1: for Design Star. She got on and won Design Star, which made her the shining example of where these kinds of blogs could go. That they could be stepping stones to a larger media brand. Design Star fed the blog and then Emily could dedicate all her time to creating style and design content.
3: Design blogging is... It's different than influencing because it's a lot of it's it's all content creation. And what I mean by that is like we are mostly behind the scenes, mood boarding, shopping, just doing a lot of a lot of labor to pull together rooms because the content we create are, is it's a room. It's not it's not a recipe. It is not a outfit. Not to say that is also very hard work. I want to be very clear, but Pulling together and decorating a room, it just physically takes a lot more time and a lot more money, a lot more resources. I can't move a couch by myself. So it's, it's just, it becomes like the whole content creation thing becomes 90% of what we do.
1: Emily had been working on her blog for about three years when she got her first big partnership with Target in 2013. That was when she really started to grow.
3: I mean, it was incredible. Like it would really enabled me to hire an an assistant and so to start prioritizing the blog over. I think I was still doing design clients at the time. I was working out of the, my basement. I think I like I had one person, then two, then three, then four. Um, then it was time to stop working out of our basement. Um, so I think in 2015 we got an office space, and things were feeling pretty good. Like I was getting a lot of partnerships, and then with My second child, like I, I mean, I just felt like I was drowning all the time and um, I did not know how to, how to keep up with it emotionally and physically, financially. So I, I,
1: I made the choice
3: to grow more.
1: Even though she was drowning in the crazy days of early motherhood, Emily stuck with it. She kept going. She had a family to support. And so she just kept pushing herself harder and harder to keep getting bigger and bigger online.
3: I've never actually written about this. So it was it was so unsustainable emotionally that I basically I found myself consistently like just crying about how I had no time to enjoy my own life. And I was like, I have all these things. I have no time to enjoy it. And it was just really sad. God, I'm kind of crying. Um, anyway, so I had to like make that choice. I was like, what do I do? Do I keep, keep growing? Do I keep adding people to, to, to help make this feel better? Or do I, you know, kind of shift back and scale back and kind of have a, a simpler, different life. Um, and maybe I will be able to have time to enjoy my kids while they're young. Um, So, that's what, that's what I did.
1: I could so relate to everything that Emily was saying. It has long, long been ingrained in American culture to grow and grow and grow at all costs. At any cost to your sanity, your well-being, your family, your family's sanity and well-being. That culture is nothing new. But frankly, in the digital age, it just all feels faster and faster than ever before. Quick example of that, every time Facebook or Instagram changed the algorithm while I was working at Yahoo Travel, we completely changed our content strategy on a dime, because that's how important the traffic was to our website. It's fucked up. It's too much control, and it can make or break a content creator's business. They just keep changing the algorithm over and over again with no notice.
3: it's crazy making and it hasn't stopped. Instagram started telling you based on your behaviors, what content you should see. And then it became a chase for those likes and for those eyeballs. And, um, which is, you know, it can be exciting to play, to play that game, but it's been a really long game guys. It's like, and every year they change the algorithm and so you think you figured it out. And then every year they add another product. So if you don't play their game and don't create content with that product, so the product could be, you know, IG Live, Reels, Stories, then you do get un- unseen. That part has always been... It's really stressful, hard to figure out. And I'm not alone. I mean, it's every content creator, every brand in the world is trying to, you know, figure out how to play this game. Um, So it's really just become this, uh, this, just the survival in a lot of ways, just this uh, war of attrition to see who can, who can (laughs) keep getting the eyeballs. And when you feel like a social media platform is really controlling the game, then it becomes, it's just hard and it becomes, becomes very challenging to want to keep playing.
1: Now, Emily had a decision to make, and her choice was to slow down and save her sanity.
3: I'm only writing about one to two posts a week, and we have a lot of contributors. So we've really shifted to being a publishing platform. And so we have kind of this cast of characters um I'm not quite sure how many people right now are contributing but like let's say 10 or 12 people that consistently contribute and what they are bringing are like different budgets, different styles, different voices, different types of spaces like some are small space, some are you know different cities. It it, it has become just more of this like family of bloggers on this publishing platform that has a lot of built-in traffic. I think it's working. We still have to iterate and innovate, but currently it feels good. And um, I'm really proud of what we've done. I mean, I live in Oregon now, like we bought a farm, like these were specific choices to get out a little, try to get off the hamster wheel and get out of the city to slow down a little bit.
1: It's amazing to me that you've been doing this 12 years. I feel like you're at the top of your game. You have one of my favorite sites and you feel like a grandma. I'm in this existential
3: not crisis because I think I'm on the other side of it where it's like I have 30 years left of potentially like creating creating content or building my career. And so it's just it's very much a what's that going to look like, Emily? What is what is that going to be? God. Um how are you going to use them in the most meaningful fulfilling purposeful ways all the things that you care about all of a sudden when you're 35 38 40 that you didn't really care about when you're 25 like meaning purpose value like what what are we doing here Um, and it's kind of exciting to get to the point where you're just like I don't I don't need to be the most popular Mm -mm. and to do the memes any any, anymore I just want to educate and inspire and inform and add value to the world
1: If someone as successful and savvy as Emily Henderson is exhausted by this constant hustle, then what hope is there for the rest of us? One of the things that struck me the most while talking to Emily is her passion for the written word. For the old school, traditional nuts and bolts of digital content, the blog.
3: The best thing I've ever done is never given up on blogging because it's always been there. So when everything else feels like, you know, you're just playing this 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 Hunger Games war of attrition, trying to stay alive in social media, the blog has always been there. So I kept blogging about the show and then it started just steamrolling into this business that kind of blew up in a really good way.
1: I love that you say that because we talk about it a lot, right? We're like, everything could go poof, all of the social media platforms. But if you have the blog and you have the words and you've created a multimedia brand and that still lives, no matter what happens to the social media, all of those words are still there. Yeah. Because social media
3: is so volatile and, you know, during the pandemic, at the very beginning, all contracts were canceled. And it was terrifying for a lot of people that, you know, do what we do. But the blog, because we have ads, like the the blog kept us not only afloat, it was thriving. It's way more stable.
1: Emily is not alone in going back to the basics, back to blogging. Back to a place where you have actual ownership and control of your content. A place that is not Instagram. After the break, we're going back to the blog. Blogging. The search for stability online has brought us all the way back to the beginning. Circular composition. I learned about that in AP English in high school. The
2: blogging medium is coming back, which I think is something that is a really positive change because I think a lot of people miss that magazine style of influencer where they don't have to catch everyone's story every single day.
1: That's BuzzFeed reporter Stephanie McNeil. She is one of the few journalists covering the business of influencers seriously, and she too is seeing a return to long-form storytelling and blogging.
2: I've been talking to influencers for a while before that who are just worried about tying their businesses too much in Instagram because there's been this complaint for a really long time that not only does Instagram you know change the algorithm and they feel like they have to do different types of content to appeal to the powers that be at Instagram, but also that there was not enough institutional support for them as creators that they could, if they had an issue, have a dedicated line where they could just shoot an email and someone would respond right away. I think a lot of people didn't realize what they were doing until it was too late. And they're kind of taking stock and looking back and being like, wow, now all of a sudden, instead of working for myself, I'm working for Instagram and I'm not getting anything for it.
1: Another frustrating part of this that we've mentioned is that Instagram's constant algorithm switches are always putting creators out of their element. Old school influencers who started out writing and taking pictures are now being asked to learn entirely new skills. The algorithm wants them to shoot video and do silly dances. They want them to do anything to catch people's attention or anything they think will bring ad dollars into the social media company's pockets.
2: And I think the other thing is people just were tired of playing the game. I think the reels push that Instagram has been doing over the past six months or so where they are clearly pushing reels. And so if you're someone who you know, you're trying to not let your business on Instagram die. And then you're seeing all these people who just post reels every single day, getting thousands and thousands of followers that can really make you take a step back and be like, wait, what is happening here? Is this platform for me? Like, how can I build my business back on my own terms? You know? And a lot of influencers have told me this, like, where would Instagram be without an Instagram influencer?
1: Where would Instagram be without influencers? Where would Instagram be without the people who follow influencers? Those are the questions that I am dying for this platform to think more about. And it is the main reason that we keep talking and talking and talking about doing a woman's day off the internet. Just to show these companies exactly how much content women are creating for them in a day. The revenues of companies like Instagram and Facebook, I know they're all one company, Meta! comes from the labor of these women, and they can't continue to ignore them. It's not right, and frankly, it is creating a worse internet for everyone. But how can we create a better internet for everyone? The Meredith scandal that we talked about at the top of this episode is just one example of how often people can get in over their heads in the world of influencing. The Merediths were good at what they did, They knew how to renovate houses. They knew how to post those renovations on social media. But as they grew faster and faster, they got in over their heads because what they probably didn't know was how to renovate houses quickly and cheaply for a television production company. And that's where things fell apart. They fell prey to the hustle. As Emily Henderson said, the hustle to keep up with maintaining and growing a brand can nearly burn you out. It did burn her out, actually, until she found a way to step back, slow down, and say no to some things. We all need to get a little better at saying no. That's stepping away from the hustle. And that is one of the reasons we're creating the Women's Day Off the Internet. I posed the question to Emily. I asked her if she was into the Women's Day Off, just to figure out if I'm nuts or not. I love that. What day is that? Yeah, well we're, we're 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 figuring out the day right now. So I will keep you updated on that day. From listening to the podcast, I do appreciate that like
3: it does seem it like it we're at the the mercy of the social media algorithm gods yeah. and when i say that it's like a hunger games war of attrition and survival it's where the rules change every every year mm-hmm. and the weapon all of a sudden doesn't work anymore yeah. and you're just like okay okay all right so now we have to do this to stay alive okay okay and it's all fine and good but like at a certain point you're just like to what end yeah. Like, to to, to what end? Mm
1: -hmm. Exactly, exactly. I think brands are all doing the best they can, and some of them are doing such really interesting work on social media. I think Mm -hmm. content creators are all doing the best they can. But so many of us are just at the mercy of the social media companies who I don't think give enough of a shit about the consumer, the audience, and also the creators and the brands. I don't think that there is enough care in that world, and I would like there to be more care. And I think that that is the whole point of the woman's Day Off the Internet. The woman's Day Off is coming. And I promise, you'll know when I know. But while we wait, we still have a lot more to cover. Thankfully, what we're discovering through our reporting is that there are actually a lot of other people out there who have the same goal as we do to make the internet a better and more equitable place for all people, but really for women. And these people are going about it in a totally different way than I am. I mean, I'm just spouting off my mouth all the time. These people are founding companies to try to fix the problem. So next week in our final episode of this season, I'm sorry, it's the last episode of this season, we're talking about the brave new world of influencing that is going to happen on Web 3.0. I know that Web 3.0 sounds like the Matrix. Take the red pill. But it's totally a real thing, and we are inching closer and closer to it. And frankly, all of us need to get a grasp on it because a lot of people think it might just be the thing to save online content creation. And that, as we've seen, is not going anywhere.
2: I I want the word influencer to not be a dirty word.
1: How do we build a pathway out of this lock-in on single platforms for creators and influencers that really own and control their lives?
2: We also kind of think about this as democratizing influence. Like, influence is a good thing. Word of mouth has served us for thousands of years as humans. It's just never been properly
1: productized. Under the Influence is hosted and reported by me, Joe Piazza. Our senior producer is Emily Marinoff. Glynis McNichol is our editor. Abu Zafar is our producer. We got additional production help from Aaron Peterson. And our associate producer is Lauren Phillip. Sound design and mixing from Jackie Huntington. Our theme was composed by Jessica Kreinchich. Additional music by Jessica Kreinchich and Jackie Huntington. Anna Stumpf is our consulting producer. And we are executive produced by me... Joe and Nikki Tor.